master. When I talk about modeling the master, I'm talking about behaving or modeling the behavior of the master. The master I'm talking about this morning, guess who is Jesus Christ? That's the master we're talking about this morning. Can I start off by saying this, however? I've been a Christian for a long time, and there's been times when I have modeled the master and done so and known the grace of God to be able to serve God and to be able to live the full life that he's called me to be. And then there's been times when I have badly fallen short of it as well. I want you to know that wherever you're at this morning, this is a place of grace. Can I get an amen? amen. This is a space of grace where we grow and we change and we're being changed by the presence and the power of God. So I want to look at that this morning. One of the reasons I want to look at it is this. I was doing a message last week called the imitation game and in it I was talking about how it is that in our lives we imitate the people around us so so often we imitate our parents our friends our brothers and sisters we imitate the people around us and it is through imitation that we learn to think that we learn to talk and that we learn to walk literally an infant learns those things through imitation that's how it's done and so I want to look a little bit further into that topic this morning. But I want to start off with this. Has anybody here, does anybody here read books? Anybody read books here? <laughs> like a good book? Excuse me. <clears throat> I like a good book too. I like a good book. Has anybody here ever read a biography? A biography, the story of somebody. Will you put your hand up so I can see? It's kind of, I read a biography, but I'll admit it. You can admit it. It's okay. It's a safe, it's a safe place. If you read a biography, throw your hand up. If you haven't read a biography, let me tell you this. You've almost certainly watched a biography. In that you've probably gone to some biographical film or one of those movies that starts off with, this is a true story or this is based on true events. A classic form, for instance, would be Schindler's List, if you've seen that, or maybe something like Braveheart. A bit stylized, but nonetheless, the essence of the story is true. And very often, people read biographies so that they can learn from the experiences of others and put those experiences to work in their own lives. Are you with me so far? So maybe you've read a biography before, or maybe you haven't read a biography before. Here are some, a biography itself is probably one of the most popular genres of writing. Of all the books you see inside in the bookstore, or online biography is one of the most popular. Not the most popular, but one of the most popular. Here's a couple of biographies that have been very popular in the last few years. Okay, here's one. Anybody read this one? Michelle Obama's Becoming. Anybody read that? Anybody read that? I know Brian Sinnott read Becoming because he said he wants to know what it's like to be a strong black African-American woman. That's who he wants to be. This is the person that he wants to model. I'm only kidding you, Brian. I'm only kidding. Of course, I'm only kidding. Michelle Obama's book, extremely popular biography, extremely popular, unsurprisingly, with women who wanted to see how it is that she ended up becoming the president's wife and so on and so forth, and, and the life and all that that entails. Very, very popular. Here's another popular biography, Steve Jobs' biography. Anybody read that one? Anybody read Steve Jobs' biography? My wife met Steve Jobs. She did. She said, Steve, you're doing a great job. She, she, she met him up in Apple, she met Steve Jobs. She met Steve Jobs. She's the only person I know who's met Steve Jobs. That makes me one person removed from Steve Jobs. Me and Steve are so tight. We have his picture on the wall, we worship him. No, we don't know. But Steve Jobs, very popular. A lot of people have read this book, Walter Isaacson's uh, story, Steve Jobs. And part of the reason that the reason is because he was so popular, so creative, such a genius, that so many people read the story. I was at a, war, a, a, a Christian leaders event there a few years ago. And they went around the room asking what kind of books people read. And I, 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 at the time, I was reading a book called Stalingrad, uh, which is a story about how to lead a church as another day's work. <laughs> a few people know that story. Um, 
But and loads of them said, I read Steve Jobs. I was going, why would you be bothered reading Steve Jobs? Unless you want to learn how to be a bad father, a bad husband, but a creative genius. That's fair enough. You can read it away. But people read the books so they can learn the lessons. Here's another book that's really popular in Ireland. This is really popular, particularly amongst Irish Republicans. This one is really popular. Prince Harry's. This is a very, very popular book. Uh, it's called Prince Harry. It's, it's, it's Prince Harry, and its title is Sorry, it's called Spare. Or as we say in Cork, Spare what by? Anyway, he's, he's a spare. It's the story of Prince Harry. It's the story of a man who was born into utter privilege with a silver spoon in his mouth, who was waited upon hand and foot all of his life, had a couple of tough things happen to him, and hasn't stopped complaining about it since. So that's the story. If you're interested in knowing about how to whine, but to do it with a really good English accent, you can do it by reading that book. Here's another final, this is my final biography for this section, and that is the story of this man. J. Robert Oppenheimer, the American Prometheus. And the difference between these two men is one was born into privilege and complained about how hard his life is. The other was born not into privilege and complained about how good his life was. And one of the things I like, if I had a choice between these two lives, I'd go for Oppenheimer's life. Because if just take one look at him, you could meet him at the fair in Kenmare selling his calves. That's what he looks like. But in actual fact, he invented the atomic bomb. That's the guy who invented the atomic bomb. And also, I'd like to be like Oppenheimer because I get to wear a cool hat and they could smoke and nobody would go out to me and I'd really like that. But between all these people learn the stories of these people to try and learn lessons sometimes to find out what's going on in their lives. But you also, if you're a Christian, if you've ever read the Bible, have also been reading biographies. In fact, did you know that you are reading, if you read the Bible, the most popular biographies ever written? The most popular by ever written. The four Gospels are the four biographies of Jesus written in the New Testament. And they're there to teach us how to live. That's what they're written for. And we can read them. There's four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. You all know them. Matthew's was written first. John's was written last. Luke has the most detailed. Mark's is the fastest paced. Mark is written from Peter's perspective. John from John's perspective. Matthew from Matthew the tax collector's perspective. And Luke was written from the collection of uh, witnesses around him that he met as he went about his journey hearing about Jesus. And those four Gospels give us a story about Jesus. Not just so that we can admire it, but that's so that we can model it. This is how Mark starts off his Gospel. Mark, always in a hurry, gets straight to the point. This is the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. That's how Mark starts. No messing, no faffing around, straight into the story. He says, this is the good news. And the reason he writes about this good news, and the reason that they write these stories, is so that our lives would be changed. Dwight L. Moody, the American Christian and evangelist, he said this about the Bible. He said, the Bible is not given for our information, but for our transformation. It's given to us not so that we would be better informed about God, or better informed about Jesus, but that we would be changed by God, and we would be changed by Jesus. That's the whole purpose of reading your Bible. Paul's, or James says, when we read the Bible, it's like looking at a mirror. We see ourselves in the Bible. I've warned people, especially people who just become Christians, when they read the Bible, this is I'm going to tell you. You will read it, but I guarantee you, it's going to read you. As you read those lines, something will speak to you and go, ah, that's what I'm like. I'm like that person. And if you particularly like the book of James, which I do, it, to, uh, that's another day's work. I'll get to that in a minute. The Bible was given not for our information, but for our transformation. And one of the people and one of the encouragements that comes to us from one of those gospel writers he writes later in one of his letters I quoted last week is this he said 
Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. Follow the example of Christ. Model what Christ was like. That's what they're saying. Now, when I was a young Christian, I got very confused about this on this particular point. And I was listening to the older Christians who've been Christians many years before me. And they continue were talking about one day we will be like Jesus. And I thought, yes, I'm going to be like Jesus. And I also confused a little verse that's there also in 1 John that says, Beloved, we don't know yet what we're going to be like, but we know this. We will be like Jesus because we will see him as he is. So therefore, I thought that not only were we going to be like Jesus, we were probably going to look like Jesus. That we were going to have beards and we're going to have hair and, and even the women are going to have beards. I just thought this, this is kind of weird. Because if we looked like Jesus, we would be modeling Jesus. And I thought, wow, if that's the case, if it's the case that one day we're going to look like Jesus, I want to introduce you to the coolest Jesus I have ever met, if you know what I'm saying, in the flesh. Would you say hi, please, for a moment to Grant Kalea Lombardi? Come up here, Grant. Give it up for Grant. Come up here, Grant. Go. You can go back down, Grant. You see what I mean? Like, don't you think that if there's open auditions for a Jesus movie, Grant's got to go. Like, he's getting the job. You know what I'm saying? I'd love the idea. You know, Grant goes into a restaurant. He sits down for dinner with Cody. And he sits down with dinner with Cody. And the person comes along and says, here's the menu. Would you like the wine list? And Grant looks up and winks and says, I'll just take water, please. <laughs> and not only does Grant that, like, if you say, has anybody here seen The Chosen? Anyone see The Chosen? It's a great series, really good, really, really good. My goodness, I've never cried so much watching a television show. Well, I've watched some sport that made me cry. But that's another day's work. Um, uh, but like, you, the guy in it, he's not even as good at Jesus as Grant is. And Grant even has the broken English Jesus accent. Listen to this. I am the way, the truth, and the life. <laughs> He has it! He has it! And, and you can just imagine Grant in a singles group saying, Would you like to get a personal relationship with me? <laughs> Will you give it up for Grant Kalea? God bless you, Grant! You see, becoming like Jesus doesn't mean having that lustrous beard and beautiful hair. You see, I had hair like that once too. I did. Same length. It was red. It was really, it was beautiful. <laughs> it's all in the past now, brother. And, uh, God bless you, Grant. But we're not here to model Jesus in that sense. And I know you know that. But sometimes we do get funny ideas into our heads of what does it mean to be like Jesus. And Jesus, when we model him, is not asking us to do something that he hasn't done himself. That's the curious thing about it. Jesus commands us calls us to follow him and then he demonstrates the way so who did jesus imitate well let's see what the scripture says here this is from john's gospel my father's always working jesus said and so am i i'm doing what my father did if my father's working then i work that's what i do he said it even more explicitly a little bit further on he said i tell you the truth the son can do nothing by himself he does only what he sees the father doing whatever the father does the Son also does, for the Father loves the Son and shows him everything he is doing. 
You see, Jesus was following the model that the Father was showing him. I do only what I see the Father doing, he said. He wasn't making this stuff up on the fly. He himself was submitted and was following the direction and the instruction and the modeled pattern given to him, which is what we are supposed to do too. Now let me just drop this note in on you. Sometimes you might do negative things in your life that you saw your father doing. Maybe your father wasn't the best father in the world. Maybe he was a broken man. Like we all are broken with sin and broken with our humanity. But just because he did something that was bad and that was negative doesn't mean that you have to do it. It means that you can break that cycle today in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. If you see some pattern that's been handed to you that is destructive from your father, I want to tell you this, you have a new father, your heavenly father. That's who you have a new father. Model him and imitate him. Can I get an amen? amen. There's hope and there's grace in this place. Can I get an amen? amen? The important thing, however, is that sometimes when we look at the Bible, we look at it, we read it, we go, oh, wow, that's really nice. That's really cool. That's really spoke to me. That's very inspirational. We can look at the Bible in that way. But you see, the thing about it is we must not just be hearers or readers of what it says, but we must do it also. That's what James wrote when he wrote to the early Christians. He said, don't just be readers of the Bible. Do what the Bible says. Jesus says, you're my friends if you do what I command you. The famous American writer Stephen R. Covey wrote a book called The Seven habits of highly effective people and in it he did research into the best business minds the best tech minds the best political and media minds and he drew out of it seven different habits that they had but in the preface to his book near the start of the book he makes this really important point this is what Stephen Covey says at the start of his book he says to learn and not do is really not to learn and to know and not do is really not to know you see, because it is all in the doing. That's what it is. If you want to be a good husband, a good parent, a good friend, a good employee, it's all in the doing. Read a book about being a good employee. Amen. But be a good employee. Be a good neighbor. Be a good brother. It's all in the doing. Because knowing is not really doing. Only doing is doing. Do you hear what I'm saying? Amen. Amen. Mm. Are you so excited about Donovan? I don't know. I think it's his life giving myself. But there you go. I talked about three imitative behaviors that we all practice, we all exercise, and none of us invented them ourselves. None of us invented any of these behaviors ourselves. We picked them up from other people. They were thinking, they were talking, and they were walking. And the reason I picked up those is because these are three behaviors that are shown clearly to be behaviors that we we cannot learn of our own. We cannot learn to think, to talk, or to walk on our own. We need people around us to teach us how to do these things. Yeah. And so what I want to do is look very briefly at three ways in which we can think about the thinking of Jesus, the talking of Jesus, and the walking of Jesus, and perhaps so that we can model it in our own lives. Are we good with that? Yeah. Let's start off with how Jesus thought. Now, Jesus never wrote an autobiography, and so therefore he never he left, no, left no diary behind and said, Dear diary, turn water into wine today. What a great crack. You know, he never wrote anything like that. He never did anything like that. He didn't write anything himself. What was written about him was written about him by those who followed him and those who were around him. But we do get an insight into the, what Jesus thought by the way that he lived. If you watch the way someone lives, you'll normally get a picture of what they think like. And here, that's why Paul writes to the Philippian church and he says this to them. You must have the same attitude that Jesus Christ had. 
Now this is challenging. You must have the same attitude that Jesus Christ had. Because attitude will determine your altitude. It's that simple. It's your attitude determines your altitude. How well you go will depend, depend on your attitude. And this is what he says about Jesus Christ. He says, for though he was God, he did not think equality with God was something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. He appeared in human form and humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. The last statement has to be seen in light of the first statement. The first statement, though he was God. He was God. And yet, he laid aside those privileges and died a criminal's death on a cross for you and for me. Amen. He was God. He had every right to slap those back who slapped him. He had every right to insult those who insulted him. He had every right to accuse those and judge those who accused and judged him. He had every right to call down the fire of heaven on those who accused him of being a servant of Satan. But he chose not to. He laid aside his divinity so that he could walk as a human being. He took on that form. And the thing about it is, is that when we, he could have at any stage claimed his full rights. It was his entitlement. He is God. But he chose not to exercise his rights. And the key to humility, brothers and sisters, is not to exercise our rights all the time. <clears throat> That's the truth of it. Sometimes it means giving away to the needs and the desires of others. You see, it goes on to say this. Therefore... God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. What is the therefore? Therefore means and because of this. Because he laid his side his divine privileges. Because he took upon himself human form. Then God elevated him. Because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Amen. If you want God to lift you up, then humble yourself under God's mighty hand, as Peter says. Humble yourself under God's mighty hand, and in due time, he will lift you up. Hallelujah. By the way, this passage from Philippians chapter 2, you should know, just from a background, biblical point of view, that this is probably not what Paul himself wrote, but Paul is quoting here an ancient Christian hymn. He's literally quoting a song that was sung in Christian meetings. Can you imagine what it would have been like to be in the meeting singing those songs? Hallelujah. But he's quoting a song and it's quoting the view of the early church about Jesus Christ. Now, what does it mean to be humble? It means not always to get your way. Amen. It means not a lot. Now, you see, sometimes people think the Irish, like if you came from another country, you think the Irish are very humble because they're always putting themselves down. Ah, sure, no, I'm useless. Oh, you're a great, you, hey, Pastor, you, me, I mean, it's, it literally has happened to me. Somebody's going to say, hey, Pastor, that was just, you know, praise God, it was wonderful to be in your church. What an amazing service. Ah, no, sure, it's useless right now, my God. So we can't sing for anything and preach for nothing. We're useless. Oh, we're awful. And you imagine that the Irish, if you were around them, were really humble, you know? So you can say, you say to an Irish person, Oh, hey, I like your top, that's really nice. You go, what, this rag? <laughs> it's awful. What a useless thing that cost me a fortune. 
You know, you say, you're really talented at this. You go, oh, no, not at all. I just, oh, sure, I'm only trying my best. And it comes across as very humble. But it actually isn't. Because the Irish, I think, and I speak as an Irish person, stone me afterwards, we do a good line in false humility. Do you know that? Oh, no, everyone's better than me. While at the back of our heads are going, but I am better than everyone else. <laughs> you see, humility isn't thinking less of yourself. Let me set you free. It's not thinking less of yourself. Can I get an amen? Amen. It means thinking of yourself a little bit less. That's humility. Thinking of your rights a little bit less. So if you want to be humble in the home, brothers, give your wife her way. Cook a meal. Can I get an amen? amen. Clean the house. Can I get an amen? amen? Do all the chores on the 49-point list she gave you last Saturday and have them done before Tuesday or else. Amen. amen. If any of the men want to go on a walk, we're walking through the gap of Dunlow in a couple of weeks' time. And we're going to do our own thing there. You're not going to tell me how to walk. Humility. Because God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. And I want to speak to somebody who today is in an argument with somebody close to them. You're in a situation, that, and this is life for you. You're in a situation where there's a real live argument. And you know that you're in the right, but I believe God would say to you today, lay down your rights. Lay down your rights. Speak humbly. Put yourself in a humble position, and God will honor you for it. It's the same in your work. It's the same in your home. It's the same in your marriage. It's the same in your church. It's the same in your social circle. Humble yourself, and let God lift you up. Can I get an amen? amen. So Jesus walked, or he, he thought humbly. That's what he did. He thought humbly. What about his words? What did Jesus talk like? Well, we know he sounded a little bit like uh, we know he sounded a little bit like Grant a while ago, except for he didn't have the broken English that Grant because he spoke Aramaic. But we don't know exactly what he talked like. But we know what he said from the Gospels because there's so many things in the Gospels that he said and are recorded. You sort of see. So what did Jesus do? Let me give you an example of something that Jesus said. He said, "I tell you the truth: this generation will not pass from the scene until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear." What, it's the first phrase that I want to bring your attention to. I tell you the truth. In the New English translation, the NET, it's also known as the dynamic equivalent version. We might look at translations of the Bible one of these fine days, like we used to back in the old days. But this phrase, I tell you the truth, is used in the New English translation 52 times coming from the mouth of Jesus. Do you think he might be trying to tell us about the way that we should speak? We should speak truthfully. Amen. Tell the truth. And though that may seem obvious, Jesus told the truth. And because he told the truth, they crucified him. Telling the truth can be an expensive thing to do. It can be hard to tell the truth. But you know what? If you do tell the truth, you will sleep better. Amen. You, will, you won't have to remember all the lies you told. Tell the yeah. truth. It's yeah. going to be tough at times. It's going to be painful at times. But I tell you this something, it's going to be an adventure too. Because God will take you to higher places if you speak the truth. Can I get an amen? Can I get an amen? You know the story, you know the story of, 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 the, of the whole armor of God. Is it in Galatians or Ephesians? I think it's in Galatians. In Galatians chapter 6, the, the whole armor of God. Paul says, to put on the whole armor of God. And the first thing he tells us to put on is the belt of truth. Put on the belt. Is that the first thing it is, isn't it? Yeah, first thing. Put on the belt of truth. Now, why was he saying, put on your belt? He was saying, put on the belt so that your pants doesn't fall down. Because that's what happens when you don't wear a belt. If you don't wear a belt, 
It's truth. If you don't tell the truth, your pants will fall down. Do you know what I'm saying? You'll be caught with your pants down if you don't tell the truth, because you're eventually going to get caught in the light. Do you know what I'm saying? You see, when I was on holiday recently in Spain, I had a pair of shorts in me with all these kind of pockets. It's cargo pants, cargo shorts. They're really cool. But do you know the problem is, they're actually too loose for me. So everywhere I was walking, I was kind of walking. <laughs> and every five steps, it was like... I was pulling up a rod. I said, if anybody's Spanish, says, why is Blanco walking like this? So I'm walking, pulling up. And I couldn't keep my pants up. Whatever it was, I'd walk on the next thing. I was like one of those kind of, you know, I was like one of those homeboys kind of going around. My pants was coming on. You could see the top of my jocks. And, and it just looked awful. Like, awful. But so eventually I, cr I cracked it. I put a belt on my shorts and then I could keep my pants up. It was really simple. I might be as cool with a pants on my shorts. I didn't have my t-shirt tucked in. I think that's the worst. Like, tucking your t-shirt, shorts, and a, pant and a belt on is like, you're old. But anyway. But when I wore the belt, I could keep my pants up. I wasn't going to be exposed. Trust me, that would, would, not been, that would not have worked out well. But it's when we tell the truth, because Jesus said the truth will do what? It set you free. It will set you free. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. That's why it's so important to speak the truth. Speak truthfully like Jesus spoke. You see... And this is an important point I want you to take more. So I want you to, first of all, we should think humbly, and second, speak truthfully. But the other thing to remember is this. Your opinion is not necessarily the truth. Okay? That's just your opinion. That is an awful song. That may be an awful song to you, but it might be a beautiful song to someone else. Your opinion is not the truth. And I learned that lesson in a very hard way when I was a kid. Because a neighbour of mine that I was hanging around with, a girl that I had the hots for, if the truth be told, I was only a young little kid, I was only maybe 13 at the time. In the middle of this big circle of guys, we played spin the bottle and I prayed. I said, oh, I really want to get a kiss off Linda, I really want to get a kiss off Linda. So I spun the bottle and the bottle turned. Have any play, anybody's played spin the bottle? Don't play spin the bottle, that doesn't matter. So whoever the bottle points between have to kind of do it there. But in this case, if it lands between a boy and a girl, you have to kiss the girl. Oh, it's great. Like, somebody going, oh, if the bottle turns, please. Give it. And Linda was kind of sitting opposite me and said, yes, we're good, we're good to go. So the bottle spins and the bottle turns. <laughs> Linda, yes, yes. So they all say, come on, kiss, kiss. They all start chanting, kiss, kiss, kiss. And they go forward to kiss it. She says, I'm not going to kiss that foxy, ugly rat. <laughs> and everyone around her said, that's an awful thing to say. And she said, I know, but it's the truth, isn't it? Linda, I'm so over you. <laughs> and then another day, I was playing another game of spin the bottle, and the bottle turned to Elma. <laughs> I said, will you marry me? <laughs> yeah, oh, yes, I will, she said, yes. It was a long time ago. Your opinion is not necessarily the truth. You may have an opinion about how somebody's doing something, or the way somebody speaks, or the way they live, or the way they act. That's just your opinion. Dig further and find the truth. Can I get an amen? Amen. 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 
So think humbly, speak truthfully. Lastly, how did Jesus walk? Walking like Jesus walked. And this is really important because when Jesus calls us to follow him, he doesn't say, this is what I want you to do. I want you to muster the best of your human energy and I want you to psych yourself up and then follow me as hard as you can. That's not what he said at all. He did say follow me, but follow me in every way. And this is one of the ways in which we should follow him. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River after he was baptized and he was led by the Spirit in the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. He walked in the Spirit by the power of the Holy Spirit. He was filled with the Holy Spirit at his baptism. His human experience was filled with the Holy Spirit at his baptism. And then he was led by that same Spirit into the wilderness. He followed the Spirit's instruction and was led into the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil. Peter, later in the book of Acts, he goes to the house of a guy called uh, Cornelius and Cornelius lives in a city on the coast of the Mediterranean. I think it's Caesarea. I definitely Caesarea. I got Caesarea in my head. He lives in the city of Caesarea and Peter goes there to preach the gospel. And this is what Peter says about Jesus in the knowing. Everybody knew this about Jesus. He says this, and you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with what? The Holy Spirit. He anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power. And Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. And so I would say to you that we also have to have that filling of the Holy Spirit. We also have to have that anointing of the Holy Spirit. If we are to model the master Jesus, we're not going to do it in human strength. Remember the prophet Zechariah who said, it's not by might, it's not by power, but by my spirit, says to God. That's how, he, that's how it will be done. It'll be done by God's spirit, not in our human strength. Because our human strength will never make us the people that God wants us to make. We have to be born again by the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit, following Jesus with the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Can we get an amen? amen? And we know that this is true because Paul writes to the Galatians, to the Ephesian church, my apologies, he writes to the Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6, he says this, in chapter 3 he says, I pray from his glorious unlimited resources that God will empower you with inner strength through his Spirit. Do you need strength this morning to follow Jesus? Mark my words, you do. Do you need the Holy Spirit to help you follow Jesus this morning? Mark my words, you do. Do you need the Holy Spirit to live the rest of this day as a follower of Jesus? Mark my words, you do. You really do. Here's what Peter writes. He says, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. He didn't give us some of the stuff. He didn't say, okay, guys, this is a 50-50 deal. He didn't say, I tell you what, you do your bit and I'll do my bit and we'll all make it all work out in the end. He didn't say, hey, I'm going to do an 80-20 split on this. I'll give you 80% of the energy. You must add 20. He said, no, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living the godly life. So when Jesus went about his business, if we were to model the master, we need to think humbly, speak truthfully and walk by the Holy Spirit in our lives. Walk by the power of the Holy Spirit, knowing the gifts and the experience and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. If we do that, let me tell you something. It is really hard. It's a really hard way to live. 
If you're trying to all the time express your own identity, your own individuality, your own creativity, if you are at the center of your own drama all the time, why do you think so many rock stars and actors and actresses and famous people suffer with depression and anxiety and addiction and they commit suicide? Why do so many people, why? Because they have to work so hard at being themselves that it exhausts them. They're burned out. That's what happens to people. They burn out on themselves because we're not built to run on the fuel of humanity. We're built to run on the fuel of God's spirit. Are you with me? Amen. So here's what Jesus would say. Come to me, he said, for the rest of your life. He says, come to me, you who are weary and carry heavy burdens and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Hallelujah. Yeah. Does your soul need rest today? My soul always yeah. needs rest. Yeah. It always needs yeah. God's rest. So I want to pray. I'm going to ask the band, lads, would you come up? We're going to play. We're going to sing a worship song, and we're just going to pray very briefly, because I'm conscious that we've already run over. I was late starting this morning, late starting the service. But I'm going to ask you, would you stand with me? We're going to pray, and we're going to worship God together. Hallelujah. We're going to sing a song called Awake My Soul. We played it a number of times. Breathe on me, breath of God. Breathe on me. If it's your prayer this morning to know the filling of the Holy Spirit so that you can live the life and follow the model of the Master. If you want to know the infilling of the Holy Spirit to walk the walk that God has called you to walk, wherever you are in the room, would you raise your hand? Would you raise your hand if you need to know that power? When you've come in, maybe it's your first time inside here this morning, maybe it's your fifth time inside here this morning, I don't know. And you feel weary and heavy laden and you're burdened. Today I want to say to you, Jesus has a new life for you. He has a new purpose and a new plan for you. And if today you want to say, Lord, I give my burden to you, I want to follow you all the days of my life. I want to follow you and know your power and know your filling in my life. And you've never asked the Lord before to say, Lord, come into my life. I want to give you my life. I give you my burdens. If you've never prayed that prayer before and you want to pray it this morning with every eye closed inside in this room, inside in this hall, with every eye closed, and you want to say, Lord, I want to take your yoke upon me. I want to follow you today. If that's your prayer and you haven't prayed it before and you want to pray for the first time, will you raise your hand wherever you are in the room? I see six people with their hands raised, raising their hands before the Lord to say, I want to follow Jesus. I want to take his burden upon me. Hallelujah. We're going to pray. I'm going to ask everyone in the congregation to pray this prayer with me. Just pray after me. I really appreciate it. If you've raised your hands, I want you to pray the prayer. And we're all going to pray alongside you to support you. Please, let's repeat. Lord Jesus Christ, I admit today that I am weary. That I need you to take my burdens. I want to lay them down at your feet. Will you come into my life? Take away my sin. Cleanse me. Make me new. Take my hand. So that I can follow you today and all the days for the rest of my life. 
I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's give a round of applause to those who prayed that prayer for the first time. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you have prayed it for the first time, please come and see me afterwards. I'd like to give you a book that we got called Made New. It's about the first steps of being a Christian. But if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that when you go home today and when you go to work tomorrow or when you go to school tomorrow or when you see your friends tomorrow, you will have a new power in you that helps you to model the life and the living of Jesus Christ. If that's your prayer, will you raise your hand wherever you are in the room? Will you raise the other hand with it nice and high? I'm going to pray very briefly because we do need to wrap. Lord Jesus Christ, you see our hands and our hands in this case are our hearts. They reach out to you just as our hearts reach out to you. We ask you, Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit and with power, Lord. Fill us, Lord, so that we can walk with a new life, with a new strength, with a new power, and in a new way, Lord. We pray that as we go into work, or we go into home, as we do everything that we need to do this day, and all the days of this coming week, and all the days of this coming season, Lord, we pray that we would walk in the power of the Holy Spirit just as Jesus did, Lord. I pray you would give us the grace to think humbly, the wisdom and the strength and the courage to speak truthfully, but in all times, walk in the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord. Fill us from the top of our heads to the soles of our feet. Fill our sleep and our waking hours. Fill our conversations. Fill our homes. Fill our workplaces. Above all, fill us, we pray, in Jesus' mighty name and God's people say. Amen.